This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 43. So a lot of you have been asking about Zach. A lot of you wanted to hear from him. And so I got him on an episode, and it's this one. You're welcome. We dove into sexual consent and what it means for us and how to teach it, how young it starts, how to teach it at different ages and stages, and what we want for our tiny humans and all the things. This is Zach's podcast debut. He is behind the scenes of every single podcast episode because he is a dreamboat and he edits every single episode. And just for those of you who don't know like what that really means, for every, let's say, hour of podcast episode like recording, there's probably two to three hours of editing. And he just does this out of love and ugh, I'm so lucky and I know it. And now he also spent about an hour recording with me. So he's the real MVP over here. But I'm very excited to share this one with you. And we also have a freebie coming out next week to take you into the holiday season to give you some language and verbiage to use when you're with maybe family or friends or folks who love your kids dearly, but maybe your kids don't really know or don't feel comfortable with and all that jazz. Maybe Uncle Jeff is trying to get your kid to hug him and Aunt Sally's like coming for a kiss and your kid's like, nah, I'm good. So we put together a freebie for you with some language to navigate that and it is going to be live on Monday. So I know it's Thursday. Hang on. We got a lot of things going on for you over here, but you can snag that on Monday at seedandsow.org slash resources. I will remind you on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you're not following along already, head on over to Instagram at seed.and.sow, S-E-W, like a quilt, and follow along there. 
If you are not subscribed on iTunes yet, I don't really know what you're waiting for. So hit that subscribe button, scroll down, leave a five-star review, write all your nice words. It makes my heart happy. And it really helps us reach other folks who are trying to raise emotionally intelligent humans as well. So that's one of the best ways you can say thank you. That coupled with screenshotting this episode and you tuning in and sharing it on all the social medias. Guys, when you share, other people hear about this and then we get to raise more emotionally intelligent humans. And this episode in particular, I would love to raise folks who are not sexually assaulting anyone and so that we can have fewer kids being sexually assaulted, kids and adults. And so let's share this around, guys. Thank you so much for your help. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with a very special guest. Today I'm here with my sweet husband, Zach. Hey, Zach. Hi. Uh, Zach is a very important part of this podcast, although he's never been on this end of it. Uh, Zach does all of our editing. And today I asked him, well, not sure about asked, but I was like, hey, let's do this podcast. And you said, okay. (laughs) I want to dive into a conversation about sexual consent (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're doing so good oh thanks (laughs) so it's rare that I am here sitting with the person that I'm recording with and and that it's someone that I live with it's very rare so this is a fun adventure but I wanted to talk about sexual consent and physical consent I'm going to use those interchangeably throughout because I think that there is a need for a honest conversation, especially across gender lines here, where we can talk about what this means and what it means to us and what it means for raising tiny humans and what messages do we want to send to tiny humans. So I asked Zach to come on and tackle this with me because I think that it's not black and white and there's a lot of gray area. We're going to dive into all of that but first, I want to share some just definitions with you. I want to share the U.S. Department of Justice definition of rape and then the U.S. Department of Health, Office of Women's Health, definition of sexual assault. I think we should start with just like knowing these terms and kind of what we're working with here. So the U.S. Department of Justice defines rape as the penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. Not casual. It's heavy. Sexual assault is defined as any type of sexual activity or contact, including rape, that happens without your consent. Sexual assault can include non-contact activities such as flashing or forcing you to look at sexual images. So first, I think it's important that we 
separate these two things. I think we often say the word sexual assault, and there can be a lot of confusion around what that means and what that is. And I want it to be clear that while sexual assault can be rape, it isn't always rape. Rape is a type of sexual assault. Yes, exactly. And so I want to make that distinction because I think we can all get on board with the fact that, like, no one is down with rape. Everyone's saying, yeah, that's bad. That shouldn't be happening. And I think where we walk into some gray area is when we're talking about sexual assault and what constitutes a sexual assault. And I've seen some, like, memes and things on the internet and conversations that have popped up about what can, specifically boys, and I'm going to be gender specific here because there are more reported instances of rape and sexual assault from women against men. We're also looking at, like, physical dominance here and things like that. So there's this fear that, like, well, what can our boys do if they can't do any of this? Like, no. (laughs) I want to dive into that because... For sure. I, I mean, I think we have a delightful sex life and I there's never I'm not worried about your sexual assault game here so I think that like you can still teach like how to have a healthy sexual relationship and consensual sex or consensual physical touch in general and stay away from sexual assault that's where I want to dive in that was a lot of the questions that I got were about like what should we be teaching specifically boys today that they should know going down the road are you ready yeah let's do ready it to dive into the gray area well, first, I would like to know, like, did you, growing up, did anybody talk to you about sex or specifically sexual consent or physical consent? Yeah, definitely. I don't have vivid, specific memories of somebody sitting down and saying, this is what consent is, and this is consensual sex, and this is sexual assault, and going through all these types of things. But I think from, like, the the earliest memory that I have is in preschool, actually, having, like, a circle time and somebody showing, like, these cartoons of, like, what is an okay touch and from this kind of person and what's not and, like, this is what you should do if this happens. And there were, you know, at the time, I I didn't register it for what it was. But looking back, I was like, wow, that was a very early introduction to that. And... I guess kind of throughout childhood in in school and at home there were definitely some clear messages sent that I think at the time I didn't put it all together and all the kind of I didn't really understand what that meant as an adult person uh, at that age but I still absorbed the information and it kind of became just what made sense to me it almost Almost second nature, not purely second nature, but there was, I guess, whenever any kind of confusion or question came around, those lessons were in my brain somewhere and they clicked in and something turned on that made me ask another series of questions. That's awesome. That's nice that you got that so early. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was. I was very lucky. Cheers to your preschool teachers. Yeah. I, I did not. I don't think anybody ever talked to, well, I didn't get like a sex talk at all. And I definitely didn't get a sexual consent talk. And 
I don't think that led to like me being raped by any means. This isn't like a, oh, if my parents would have told me like that is not where I'm going with this, but I, it's not something that was a conversation in my household in general. And so I think when I, I guess as I got older and learned more about sexual assault, it was like, oh yeah, no, I've experienced these things. And that I didn't register them as sexual assault when I was younger. Rape was separate from that for me. But I, and I think that this is a trend I'm hearing a lot now from women, is that they didn't know what it was until later when they realized, oh, just because that was like the societal norm doesn't mean it should have been. And so I think also on that note, I think there are a lot of boys and men who are engaging in what are social norms and now women are saying, hey, I don't want that to be the social norm. It doesn't have to be. I want ownership over my body. I don't want to have to do this thing just because you did it or whatever. So I think that now we need to have this conversation of where do we want to go with this? The one that stands out to me the most here is Aziz. Yeah. We've discussed this to all ends. We were actually watching Master of None on Netflix when the article was written on babe.com and um, I was like, I have to pause watching this to evaluate how I'm feeling about Aziz and see if I want to dive back in. And I think ultimately, like, what transpired according to, like, her letter that night is not okay but is common. Yeah. And so I genuinely believe that that, when it was happening, Aziz didn't see it as sexual assault. I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I agree. And so this is where I want to have the conversation of like, okay, then what should we be teaching our boys and our girls about what is sexual assault and when, how do you say no if you don't want it? What are you looking for in other people when they aren't consenting? What does that look like when people aren't consenting? Because the next day she sent him a text and essentially said like, hey, what happened last night was not consensual. Also, I love his response here. In fact, this is what I would love to hear from any accused personally is, I'm so sorry that was your experience. It was not my intention. How can I best support you? Because if it genuinely wasn't your intention, you can still feel bad that that was somebody's experience and acknowledge that wasn't your intention. And also follow up with how can I best support you? I mean, we can still then navigate this together. We can still have conversations about it, I think. And this is where I think we're dropping the ball. Yeah, I think this kind of highlights an area that is a particular social norm or message that's being sent, which I think is, and you may have mentioned this briefly in the beginning, yes means yes or no means no. Mm, We haven't yet, but I want to. Okay. No, I think it leads into the discussion about yes and no and the type of messaging that's being sent, particularly to men and young men and boys. And uh, I think that message is no means no. So if you can get to yes, then you're good. Mm. Or even not necessarily. I think that... Well, if you you want... To get, if you're interested in getting consent. Oh, right. If that's if that's what you're know you're supposed to do. Yeah. Just get the yes, and then that's good. But I think in this particular situation, from you know what she reported, there were a lot of no signs. 
I don't remember if she ended up saying no. Well, she said, like, I don't want to do this right now and things like that. I don't think at any point she said, like, no, don't touch me like that. But I guess this is the conversation I want to have is that I don't think you should have to. Yeah, exactly. I, I think there are no signs that mean just as much as actually saying no. But I think the message that is sent a lot is just try to convince someone or try to negotiate, try to get to yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. This is a hard thing for me. This is a hard conversation for me because personally, there are times where I'm like, oh, I'm not in the mood and I do want to be convinced. So it's, I don't know that I have the answer here. I, I think obviously like we, I really want to be focused on nonverbal communication and other ways that people might be saying no. I think that's a really good first step in the process, right? So if things are going along, you're not getting no signals. Well, the first part of that is to know what no signals look like. But if you're not getting those, and I think that's one scenario, if you are starting to recognize some no signals, I think that is a pretty good signal that maybe now it's time to start having a very a more open verbal communication about do you want to do this? Do you not want to do this? Even though, you know, some people might say that's not sexy. I'm not into that. That's a good side to err on. If somebody's into you and is open to having sex with you, they'll, they'll probably still want to have sex with you after you take a minute to check in with them. Yeah. I love that. It's a way to navigate gray area of like, okay, it's not just you're going to do one thing and you're going to be confused and not know. It's, all right, if this happens, then maybe it's time to try this. It's it's like any other kind of series of steps. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that it isn't just like a, once you get a green light, it's all in. Like You can just pay attention to those nonverbal signals. And I want to bring it back for a second to... What this means for parenting tiny humans, I think that we start laying this groundwork very early, much earlier than we might imagine. In fact, somebody who reached out said, well, I'm not, I'm a long way away from this conversation. And you might be a long way away from the actual sex conversation, but teaching kids to read nonverbal skills and to be mindful of nonverbal communication starts very, very young in like toddlerhood. And we, I talked a lot about this in the rough and tumble episode about wrestling with kids or doing physical play with kids, even things like tickling or anytime we're touching another human's body, also being mindful of what their face is saying and what their body's doing and teaching kids to be mindful of this. I love to do this like sibling to sibling or peer to peer or older child to younger child where I could say, ooh, let's look at their face. How do you think they're feeling right now? Actually, a teacher friend of mine yesterday, she, from, from the episode in May about bridge school, it might be like episode 16, she brought her daughter, her infant child to work and she works in a K through six independent school. And she brought her to morning meeting and the kids did different things and they were playing music and singing songs and interacting with this infant. And 
watching her responses, they were practicing looking for nonverbal cues. This baby can't talk to them yet. She can't say, please don't touch me. She can't say stop or no. Their job was to watch her nonverbal cues and see how she's feeling. And I think that we can do this all the time. I reference it in books. I reference it in kids in public. When I'm reading a book, I would point to a picture on the page and say, hmm, how does their face look? How do you think they're feeling? So I think in terms of what does this mean for you right now with your babies and your toddlers and your preschoolers and your young elementary school kids, it's starting to teach them to be mindful of these nonverbal cues so that they're in a habit of that. So then when you go to talk about sexual consent or physical consent, they already have this groundwork for nonverbal communication. Totally. Yeah, you're at that point you're just reframing it to a particular type of scenario. Right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly so hard. I love what I do, and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out, and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much, and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I think it's so uncomfortable to have these conversations for so many of us because we either didn't have them or because there's stigma around having them. And like you said, like, it's not sexy to talk about sex like this. But I think it's imperative. Totally. It's not the parents' role to keep sex sexy for your kids. Right. (laughs) This is true. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I think that one thing that I definitely want to talk to kids about as well is doing what we think we're supposed to versus talking about it. So somebody asked, somebody messaged me and said, hey... When you do this episode, can you talk about like reciprocating and how to talk to my teenager about reciprocating that just because somebody does something to or for you or she referenced specifically oral sex here, that it doesn't mean you're obligated to then do anything else. Nope. 
And I just want to throw that out there, that that's definitely something we should be telling tiny humans and all humans. Yeah. That it isn't a, like, one in my column and now it's your turn or vice versa. It's not how it works. One thing that I think is important to talk to about kids when we're having this conversation is, first of all, clearing the air for them that you recognize that sometimes this is uncomfortable to talk about and that you're glad that they are having these conversations with you and that they are present for them and taking them in because it's so important. I think you can both acknowledge, like, I understand that there's some discomfort that can happen in these conversations, and also it's really important that we have this space. What I would love to encourage humans to be doing, this goes hand in hand with the nonverbal communication, but I, I heard a story from somebody recently who was raped and was sharing that they were they looked up into the face of the person raping them when when it was happening and the rapist wasn't looking at them. There was a disconnect. And this is a thing that I think is huge, that if you are feeling and you're looking at the other person and you're mindful of their face, it is we are, I think, less likely to be committing these acts. So for me, that came back to, on on a very, like, emotional development level, just bringing it back to empathy. That if we're building empathy in our tiny humans to look at another human and think, I wonder what it would be like to be in your shoes, that's the basic level of, like, what empathy is. If we're building that from infancy, I think that these things, we will see less of them. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense as you get older, it becomes almost a reflex, and by feeling empathy, you're feeling a little piece of what that person might be feeling based on what you're reading. So if you're doing something horrible to somebody, and you get a sense of how that's making them feel, you're not going to feel good either, which will make you not want to do the thing. Right. And I think what I look for in tiny humans of, in terms of are we building empathy, I'm looking at you know, if a kid goes up and hits another kid and then says, yeah, I made him sad. Almost intentionally, it seems like. This is where I say, okay, we need to work on empathy. And in order to work on empathy, I need to teach this tiny human how to process their feelings so that they aren't... I think oftentimes what we're seeing is that a kid gets mad or feels sad about something... And so, in turn, wants to make another human feel sad or mad, specifically if that is the kid that made them feel that way. So, in the instance of one kid comes up and takes a toy from another child, that child might purposely go over and hit, right? So, here I'm saying, okay, we don't have, we need to work on empathy because this child is intentionally causing another child pain or harm, but First and foremost, I need to work with this kid on what to do when they feel mad because right now they don't have those tools and that's why they're going to hit. And I think what happens is that it seems like these things are not related, but then down the road we have teenagers and beyond because this is not limited to a specific age who are having a feeling and they don't know how to process that and so they end up doing something to another human. In those instances, that's when we're looking at things like rape or when there's, like, intention behind the sexual assault. And I want to start building 
those skills younger, emotion processing and empathy, so that we're not dealing with those, like, bigger things down the road. But I think generally what's happening is this essentially cultural norm around sexual assault. Yeah, and I'd I'd say on top of that, there's also the messaging that goes on where although somebody may not sexually assault somebody to make them feel bad, I think sometimes it can be about that person not feeling powerful, and so Mm. the sexual assault is a way to make themselves feel powerful, which comes back to emotion processing Mm -hmm. in a different way, Um, not necessarily the you hit me, so I'm going to hit you back. And then I think there's the other part of getting the message that this is a societal norm, and even though this person is saying, no, it's your role to be the dominant one and make this happen, take what you want, I think there's definitely that toxic stuff out there as well. I think that power note is important and something I hadn't really thought a whole lot about, to be honest, but... I think it does make people feel powerful. Some people. Yeah. Good good point. Some people. I love that. Not I love that it makes me <laughs> feel powerful. I love that connection. I also want to touch for a second on, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, if she didn't want it in reference to the Aziz thing, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she fight back? And I think we also need to be teaching our tiny humans that When you're in a state of shock, when you have spiked cortisol, you may fight, you may flee, or you may freeze as like an automatic response. So if you, if your body is freezing, I actually think 13 Reasons Why did an awesome job of depicting this in the hot tub scene which is, I mean, a giant trigger warning for any sexual assault survivors if you're going to choose to watch this. But there's a scene in there where they depict her freezing and being raped. And I think that we need to be talking more to our kiddos about, or or just referencing, like, it's not just fight or flight, it's fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, I think within, by just saying fight or flight, you're you're sending an underlying message that to freeze is wrong and you that's not an option. Right. So if well, you that, do that, it's now on you because you didn't exactly. fight or flee. Right. And, like, I mean, personally, it's scary. Like, the idea of running away or leaving and potentially then being physically assaulted on top of whatever was already happening is terrifying. So I think I... Like, I a thousand percent understand the, like, yeah, I didn't leave. I was scared to leave. I didn't know how to leave. Yeah, the same exact... The brain is doing the same exact thing as in the other two situations. It's trying to preserve itself and receive the least amount of harm possible from a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. I think we often focus on these things we think we should be doing on this bigger scale. Like, how do we teach kids not to sexually assault one another. I think that's rad. It's a cool conversation to be having, but I think it's important that we're not leaving out the small things that add up to big things. And I think these things happen all the time. So I, I recently had someone ask, what can I be doing? Like a, he's a dude. What can I be doing to like support women here? 
And my response was, when somebody makes a joke that's sexist, step in and say, that's sexist, or I don't think that's funny. In the same way that if somebody makes a racist joke, I think it's on the white folks in the room to be an ally and say, hey, that's racist, (laughs) and to have that conversation. I don't think that it is the job of the oppressed or the victims to have to advocate all on their own for themselves. I think it's really powerful when the folks with power are advocating in favor of us and are being allies. And I think in in this case, we know that a third of women are sexually assaulted. I want to see more men in this conversation and stepping in and not letting those jokes happen, not letting the strip club trips happen, like just advocating for women. That's a part of the problem that often goes kind of unseen because it doesn't all happen at once in a big way. And um, actually, I remember we were talking with my mom the other day about some of these some of these things and. She said something about, you know, we were lucky enough to not be brought up in a, we meaning the three of us were lucky enough to be brought up uh, not around kind of this ignorance about people that are different and like sexist culture at, at a whole. And, you know, after we talked about it for a minute, we all were like, actually, we have been brought up around this, although maybe not directly from our immediate family, but everybody grows up around it and everybody is familiar with what it looks like. But I think a lot of times kids and young people aren't able to comprehend or fully understand the bigger picture of how all these little moments add up over time to a general attitude or leniency or acceptance of certain types of behavior and because of that, certain things then become normalized on a cultural level. And, you know, I, I think growing up, it's hard to know what to do. And I think, you know, when you don't have that perspective uh, as a young person, you might know something is uh, off-color or sexist. There can be a pressure or it can be socially awkward to not at least pretend to laugh along or to make excuses for people like, oh, they're not really racist or or sexist. And I think although when you're a kid and are first kind of having exposure to your peers saying things like this and trying to find your way with how you respond in those situations, I think oftentimes even as people move into adulthood, the pattern of response has already been established and it can be even harder to know what to do in a situation when you find a joke or a comment offensive to you personally or intolerant of other people. And as an adult, hearing those types of things, I think it can also be difficult in the moment, uh, you know, for for different kinds of reasons. I think sometimes someone says something that shocks you just enough to be taken aback for a second, and then the moment's passed, and the thing has been said, and nobody's responded to it. Or it can, or it can be like a a social situation where it is a little bit awkward to 
then confront someone and risk uh, having them feel alienated and unreceptive to any kind of um, feedback. Well, and I think it's like, I, I think that there's definitely fear associated for a lot of folks. I think it's scary for a lot of folks to say, I'm going to be the one who steps up here and says something in this group where then people might turn this on me. They might say things to me, about me, etc. And actually, Rachel Cargill, who I follow on Instagram, if you don't follow her, she's amazing and she does a lot of work around racism. And her platform is a space where for a long time I felt really uncomfortable and it brought me outside my comfort zone in a really good way. And I been following her now for I guess at least like six months and the way that I look at it there is for me to just listen and learn and one of the things that she has talked about is that your fear as an advocate and an ally is valid but less than the fear of the person who is often the target of the violence that happens. So she talks a lot about racism, and in this discussion about sexual consent, if you're a dude in a circle and your friends are saying stuff and you're going to be the one who stands up and says, uh, hey, I think that that's sexist, please don't talk about women like that, or that makes me uncomfortable, please don't say those jokes around me, I think that there's fear there in like social acceptance, but at the end of the day, it's scarier to be a woman and then get assaulted by those people, right? Like it's, I think the job of, of men specifically right now to stand up and advocate for women, even if it's scary in your social groups, like while your fear is valid there, not saying anything means we're perpetuating this rape culture. And it's these small moments that really add up. It's these small moments of degrading women and degrading females' bodies. And we need to be training and teaching our young men and boys and girls to all, to all step up and, and have the courage to stand up for folks and stand up for what aligns with their value system. Because if these people are going to turn on them and be rude to them, they're not people that we want these kids to be friends with anyway. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, I guess what I was getting at before, although there might be a degree of uh, discomfort or fear that goes along with speaking up, I think it's it's important to, from a young age, I think especially when it comes to talking to kids about things like that and preparing kids to be adults who are going to be in these situations, likely, someday, to, one, identify the kind of microaggressions, if you will, that feed into the larger culture in addition to, you know, kind of the acts of violence or harassment themselves and paint the picture of these are the types of moments that you're probably going to experience through all stages of your life. They feed into a larger culture or attitude or kind of societal norm around these things. And these are some tools to help you in these situations be able to stand up for people or stand up for yourself without immediately being super combative with the person who might have said something, but rather saying, hey, like, it sounds like you're making a joke, but that's hurtful. And 
not funny to me. Yeah, totally. I think that that's true. Like validating that the person who's making the joke, that's their social programming up until that point, right? Like that's what they know to be acceptable and normal and coming at them in a way where they're going to be on the defensive. While I still think even if they end up on the defensive, it's important to say these things because they might be on the defensive then and then later reflect. I do agree that it is most beneficial if you can say like, hey, I know you're just trying to make a joke there. And this is something that for me, I've in the last couple years gotten more comfortable really speaking out against things that I think are sexist or homophobic or racist or xenophobic, whatever it is, uh, whatever the phobia is, that I have started to like find my comfort zone in speaking up. And honestly, there are times where people are combative and there are times where I have walked away and worried about like how that family member thinks of me or whatever. And But at the end of the day, I would do it all again because it's too important. Not to. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think, I think that's a really good point about, although it, in the, don't necessarily go into the moment of confronting somebody on something they say, expecting that a resolution is going to happen. It's probably not. It might be awkward. The conversation might be over. You might receive some grief from mm-hmm. the person for speaking up, but I think... The fact that that person then might at a later time or next time they are thinking of saying something ignorant, pause and reflect. Because even if they may not agree with your words, they're probably going to stick with them to some degree. And I guess best case, the person remembers your words after the moment when their ego is not feeling hurt because somebody shut down them trying to be funny or whatever. I think they're feeling probably embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, their their egos hurt. Yeah, and in that time, that's when your words may sink in, and hopefully, the person will make a different choice. Yeah, but they might not. Oh, hey, everybody! It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And I, I, I actually recently shared this on, on Instagram live because it just happened, but I had, when I shared my rape story, somebody commented something on there and I deleted it and I messaged them and said, I'd be happy to have a conversation about it, but I wasn't going to keep their message up there. And I gave the reasons why. And, uh, then I just continued to show up with love and empathy and compassion and, it was hard. It was hard to delete their message. It was hard to not hear from them. It was hard to think like it, this was somebody that I respect. And it was hard to think about like, well, what do they think of me? All these, all these things. I talked about it a lot with Zach. I talked about it in therapy. It, it was, it was a thing for me. And then six months later, I got this message that was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have left that comment. I totally understand why you deleted it. And it, their message came with love and compassion and an offer to buy me a drink sometime. So uh, it's a and win-win. You yeah. <laughs> and you too, yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win. Uh, but it took six months. And honestly, that's not the, it's not the norm that somebody turns around and says, you know what? You were right. <laughs> when you said that thing to me, you were right. Even if down the road that is how they feel and they do change their perspective, it's rare that people can then check their ego enough to say, you were right. Like, I kudos to this dude who did end up saying that because I think that that's very hard to do from an ego standpoint. Yeah, and you shouldn't expect people are going to do that when nope. you stand up. You probably won't be the most popular person with that person or that group, but... Popularity isn't the name of the game here right now. And I think that's what we need to teach kids, too, is that, like, that that should be their expectation, that what they're doing is standing up for their values and that they're making a difference in the world when... They're leading. What's that? You're leading. Yeah, for sure. And to be that leader, Mm -hmm. exactly. And you know what? It might be the first time that the person who said the thing is hearing this. And if no one ever says it to them, they may never hear it. And so I think it's, it's really important and powerful to teach our kids to be that person that stands up and, and stands for their values and is an ally. And in all those little moments, I think those are the things that add up. And those are the things that really will, will change this culture around what is accepted when it comes to sexual consent in the way that we treat one another's bodies. I think it's a lot of little things that add up. All right, I have a question for you, Zachary. Sweet. You ready? You nervous? No. <laughs> yeah, you look very poised. Should have a sip of my cider. <laughs> Perfect. Shout out to Shaxbury. Not sponsoring this episode, but fueling this episode. Contributing. Uh, <laughs> contributing. <laughs> When you think about what you want for our kids to know and to, I guess, experience in their sex life, what are the, what is that? What does that look like to you? What do you want to make sure they get from our messaging? Well, I guess our future kids, you know, there are going to be different conversations at different stages and ages 
with them about what sex is, where babies come from, and all that jazz. Definitely want them to know the science. Because mm-hmm. uh, science is cool. And if they have my genes, they're just going to keep saying, but why? But why? But yeah, why? I will probably have to study before I <laughs> have the conversation. So, obviously, to be familiar and not be guessing and, and wrong, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's just science. Mm-hmm. It's part of being a person. But I think moving more into consent, uh, you know, at a young age, the good touch, bad touch, ownership over their body, this is what consent looks like, without saying this is what sexual consent is, because not easy to understand, I think, when you're a four- or five-year-old. But definitely, you know, your body, your choice, and start building that foundation even earlier than four and five, for sure. But um, what was your, the question was... What? <laughs> what do you want them to, like, what messaging do you want them to receive about, uh, like, sex? So I guess I guess as a as a teenager and adult, which is I think you know when a lot of the stuff we're talking about really starts to be experienced mm-hmm. um, in in different ways by people, I want them to know that sex isn't just about making babies. Mm-hmm. I also want them to know that. Yeah, and and most of the time that most people have sex. It's probably just because it feels good, and... It's really not to make a baby. In fact, there are a lot of precautions not to make a baby a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah, which is which is kind of a, a funny uh, irony. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think being honest about that and, like, hey, like, a lot of people do this. It, it does feel great. It can be a really powerful, awesome thing. It's a thing that feels good, and if you're going to engage in it, it should feel good and right to you. You shouldn't just do it because it's going to make somebody else feel good or you're not sure if you're into it, but we'll give it a shot and <laughs> see what happens. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's also a very vulnerable thing beyond just it feeling good and with a lot of people, the amount of good it feels is uh, proportional to the amount of vulnerability they're able to feel in the moment. And that's a very complicated part of it because it takes a lot of knowing yourself and knowing what you want and what feels right to you. And that's not something that you are always going to know immediately mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment. A moment. Yeah. <laughs> Probably early on a moment. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and so to just to, to wrap up, I guess being honest about those things, which I think honestly a lot of uh, adults probably don't really consider <laughs> very much. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's not just a thing for kids, but... Putting that out there of like, here's some things you might want to think about and you'll, you will probably experience. And when you start feeling these things, here's some healthy ways and here's some information about what you can do. And also you should be safe. Mm-hmm. Also go talk to your mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I like to, I would like to 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I obviously think of Friday Night Lights because of Tammy Taylor and Coach Taylor and how I model a lot of what I do after their parenting. But this was actually like watching Friday Night Lights. This is you and I have had a lot of discussion about the way that they handled Julie Taylor, their daughter, having sex for the first time. And that she says, Tammy, the mom says, she's crying when Julie tells her she starts crying and Julie's like, mom, why are you crying? And she was like, well, I'm, I'm sad because I wanted you to wait. And that for me, I was immediately like, Ooh, I don't want to say those words. Cause I heard him come out and I was like, that doesn't feel right to me. But so then we talked about this of like, so what do we want to say? Well, how do we want to handle that? Because you, you never want, and what Tammy ends up saying, which I think is, is really what she meant and is very powerful is She was like, I don't want you to get hurt. I know that it can be this big thing and it can almost be exciting and it can be fun and it's this thing you think you're supposed to do and you think you're in love with this human, but I don't want to see you get hurt. And that, I think, I love everything that you just said, Zach, and I'm so glad we're in alignment there. I also want kids to know that it's not just a physical feeling, right, that it's very emotional. And if you choose to have sex with somebody or to engage in any sort of, even if you choose to make out with somebody, like your heart is now vulnerable and could get hurt. And if they choose to then make out with somebody else, and that wasn't your expectation, you might feel sad and you might feel really hurt. And Hopefully at this point they have the emotion processing tools to handle sadness and disappointment and all that jazz, but it, you would still potentially feel that and that you have to be prepared for not just the physical thing, but the emotional thing that comes with sex. And then obviously would hit on the like baby making STDs, all that jazz. Like there's a real thing that can happen. Like you don't yeah, it's uh there's a lot of very real things associated sure. with sex, for better or worse. But I think they don't always, feel, you know, they don't feel real to the totally, yeah, underdeveloped it, brain. I think in that episode, the thing that's frustrating is that the mom doesn't really give her any information. Mm-hmm. Well, she was processing her emotion about it in front of Julie rather than being present yeah. to Julie's emotions too. But I think it's the thing that's often said, like you have. I want you to wait till you're older, mm-hmm. but that again, it, it it gives the impression that oh, when I'm older, I'll just know this stuff, mm-hmm. and that's not true. Right, you're right. not just gonna know. Yeah, for sure. There isn't just like a handbook you get at some point. No, um, I keep waiting for one to show up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I agree, and I think that no matter where your values fall, and this is something that is personal to everybody in their value system, we know that no matter where your where you fall and where your value system kind of aligns here, that not talking to kids about sex at all doesn't prepare them for being a sexual being, and it it definitely doesn't help with sexual consent and sexual assault and rape culture and all that jazz. And not only do I want to stop folks from being participants in rape culture, I also want to support those who 
are sexually assaulted or raped or abused in any manner. And if there is a lot of shame for folks to say, like, this happened to me in my body, then they might not tell you or they might not turn to you. And that, to me, is sad and scary. I want our kids to know that even if deep in my heart, I want them to forever be a virgin because I don't want them, not because I don't want them to feel the amazingness that is good sex, but because I don't want their hearts to get hurt. Like that's that's really what I think it is for a lot of us. We don't want their hearts to get hurt. I do want them to know that there's no shame and that they can always share this with us. Yeah, for sure. And I, was just, I just thought of one other thing as you were talking there about you said the word values. And I think another thing that I would really want to teach our kids or help them with kind of in tandem with all of, the, all of these conversations and information is what are their values on this? Mm. Help them be able to make those realizations and determinations because I think that's a tremendous tool going into life and the world at least it has been for me knowing what my values are and I think us as a couple too that those values will guide you and if you can identify your values and be true to them you're probably gonna feel okay about most things yeah no I love that and agree that they get to choose what their values are yes good job Zach I love that (laughs) Thanks for being on this journey with me. All right, cool. Well, I just finished my Shaxbury cider. I finished mine too. <laughs> so I think that's it. I think I think we're good for now. I think so too. I have a freebie that's coming out on Monday of Thanksgiving week, so next week. To support you with any language that you might need going into the holiday season to help your kiddos advocate for consensual touch and physical consent. You know, this is always a hot topic when we're including family that thinks they know them because of social media, but they don't really know them in real life or all these things. Like, it can can be challenging to figure out how to navigate those conversations, so... I have some language that we put together for you that's coming out on Monday. You can get it at studentso.org slash resources. And if you want to keep this conversation going, come on over to Instagram at seed.and.so. You can screenshot you tuning in right now and tag us. You can tag us in your stories or in a post. And I love, love, love seeing where you're tuning in from and who's tuning in. Otherwise, you're literally a number that shows up on my screen. So please let me put a name to that number and a face to it and let's keep this conversation going. You can also come into our Facebook group. It's Seed and Sow, colon, Voices of Your Village. We have experts in the field of early childhood and parents, teachers, caregivers. Everybody's welcome as long as you are committed to raising emotionally intelligent humans. So come join our Facebook group. Come join the conversation on Instagram and snag that freebie next week. And let's give a little cheers to Zach for his first podcast. Oh, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I love you. I love you too. 
Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.